You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. But I'll give you one more chance. Yes, sir, I can boogie, but I need a certain song. I can boogie, boogie, woogie, all the long. Oh, yes, sir, I can boogie, if you stay, I can't go wrong. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Scottish Football Forums podcast. I'm John and I've got another special guest. It's actually the second um, fan special this week. Um, we have Rangers um, supporter um, and writer for the This Is Ibrox podcast, Ross Kelvington. Ross, thank you for coming along. How are you? I'm fine, John. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, good. I'm, I'm glad that um, you accepted the invite to come on. It's always good to um, speak to fans of other clubs, even if there is rivalry between like, our respective sides, although I think it's probably more our side that's to feel that rivalry more than um, you guys, to be fair. No, nah, it's, it's just one of those things. I'm, I've got a few friends that are Aberdeen fans, Celtic fans, and it just you can still have a good banter and support the different, different clubs, even though it's a rivalry. Do you know what I mean? It's, not everyone has to kind of fight each other each other over the, the rivalries yeah exactly it's, you know see at the end of the day rivalry should be left at the football pitch you know away from it it's just all about banter and um, I think totally the agree. vibe I'm getting from a, a few people is that in, um, on Twitter these days is that more people seem to be up for it although they're, you just stay away from the ones that aren't interested and just want to troll but luckily you're not one of those guys um, and, um, but yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, we've mentioned at the top that you um, do writing for um, the This Is Ibrox podcast. I think you've done a couple of podcasts with them as well. Just tell us how that how that whole concept came about. Uh, it was about a year. I'm sure it's the year anniversary just last week, actually. Um, funny you should say. Um, I've, since I kind of started getting into writing, I'd always wanted to like, write for a Rangers blog or kind of website, etc. Um, I just didn't know kind of how to into one as such and I think the timing was pretty good to where this is I was just starting and he kind of been a few months into kind of writing I say properly but can do more pieces um, so I got in a conversation with Adam who runs this is I brought so a brilliant job and it just kind of steamrolled from there uh, done a few pieces and started kind of getting members of the team and it's Without any hint of bias here, it's probably one of the best uh, Rangers fan media content, content around. So uh, it's just a case of matter of timing, I think. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, fan media is becoming uh, more more and more popular. Um, you know, I think um, you know newspapers from me seem to be declining, and then um, podcasts um, are certainly on the way up. Um, so it's good to see. Um, no fan media um, thriving and us because the, I don't know about what vibe you get, but whenever, um, but my 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 take on it is that you no know, people who who go on these podcasts these days, you no know, whatever they say is out there. Nobody's trying to twist each other's arm or trying to um, you know um, look to make people look bad. It's just an honest um, adult conversations. Whereas newspapers these days are just looking to twist what other people are saying and put it in writing and pass it off as proper news. No, yeah, I agree. It's just every podcast uh, I listen to or watch, even if it's not Rangers related, but just football sport in general, it's you seem to get a better understanding listening to, the, to these guys speak 
because as we just said, it's I, I don't even read papers anymore. I used to kind of read the daily record and stuff, but t- now it's just there's so much you just don't believe anything that's said. Um, and again, I'm not going to hear slating journalists and stuff, but I mean, it's just I'd rather have a fan's opinion and listen to podcasts and read columns. Mm-hmm. Kind of, the, the, the older I've gotten, the more kind of podcasts have kind of become the norm these days. Yeah, yeah I, would, I would totally agree um, with that sentiment. Um, I think a, a lot of, um, I mean, there are good writers out there, um, you know, in the mainstream media, but there's seeming to be um, fewer and further between um, yeah. and more more ex-players in particular are willing to go on um, fan media or um, in our case neutral because um, Scottish Football Forum's podcast is about um, everyone not just you know the teams that the hosts um, and contributors um, support um, and you'll obviously know that from some of the work you're starting doing for other media like um, I read recently you've been doing something for Nutmeg and you're now um, helping out Cal McFadden with Football CFB as well Yeah just I'd always wanted to write for Nutmeg uh ever since I started reading that a few years ago and I kind of wanted as I when I've been reading that story I always just felt like I'd loved to have a piece in here because to me it's probably the best food magazine certainly in Scotland one of mm-hmm. the best in Britain um, the, the writing in it is exceptional and there's some like, brilliant names in it every issue so I just kind of set myself a goal when I first started just kind of giving writing a goal because um, I felt if you, you've got something to work towards then and you can always kind of get better and improve yourself and I think the, the best thing about writing as well is it is subjective no one can kind of tell you it's right or wrong it's just obviously your opinion or your view on something um, so when I contacted Ali and I think it was last summer just with a few ideas for articles and stuff and uh, I'm a big fan of the history of the game so I kind of wanted to go down that kind of route uh, so I fought Scotland at the 1954 World Cup. It's a story that hasn't really been told maybe as much as it should be. Uh, so yeah. I thought, why not kind of give it a go and do the research? And it just kind of all fell into place there. So really, really happy that they kind of accepted that piece to, to be an issue, definitely. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's really good. I'm getting on to somewhere like now because you say they're um, one of, if not the best, for, um, fanzine out there just now, online fanzine too, and um, the guys, they've got a great reputation, so um, that's that's a great cue for you getting on for them, but also for, for them getting someone like yourself on, because I mean I've read a couple of your things on as part of my research on the This Is Ibrox um, it's not very often I would do that as an Aberdeen supporter obviously <laughs> um, I, I loved your piece about um, the history of Ibrox, which obviously um, came um, in line with the 50th anniversary of the unfortunate yeah. disaster in 1971, you know, just see when you're writing something like that, you know, just how much of it comes down to writing from the heart because you are obviously um, a big Rangers fan. Yeah, I think in, in regards to that piece, obviously it was kind of, it's going to be a three part or something, I'm still working on the third piece, uh, the third the last bit of the trilogy, sorry. Um, the first article was obviously the first eyebrow disaster. Um, which again is something that I don't think is kind of covered as often as it should be. Um, what year is that, sorry, Ross? Uh, 1902, first one. Ah, right, okay. It's, obviously, it's over 100 years old, but mm-hmm. I think in regards to obviously kind of the modern one in you know, 50 years ago. Yeah, it does, even though I've not, I wasn't 
alive back then, and I, I don't actually know anyone that was um, kind of involved in the disaster. But still, when you're you're reading the research or you're reading the kind of stories from the fans that were there and supporters that had people that never came home, it, it was really it's quite emotional. I was getting quite emotional reading some of the kind of first-hand accounts and stuff. So it was quite hard to actually write that particular piece. Mm-hmm. But I just felt I wanted to write something for the 50th anniversary. And I just mm-hmm. thought the kind of whole trilogy would kind of coincide with that. Um, again, I'm still working on the last piece, but the second one was kind of released on the actual day, so it did tie in quite well. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm sure the third one will be real good as well. And, uh, you know, as you say, you weren't alive in 1971, um, but... Um, you know, you grow up with the history of your club and, you know, that's yeah. obviously, a, you know, a big thing because, you know, that obviously prompted um, to change Ibrox to what we know of now. Um, if anything, um, you could actually argue that Ibrox um, could be brought more into... Um, it's still, it's, I mean, it's still obviously a great stadium, uh, for, you know, 50,000 fans when fans are allowed and stuff like that. But, the last makeover it really had was um, in the nineties. You know, do you think um, it's it's due another uplift at some point? I know there's been lots of rumours about it um, because although it's still in decent nick, you know, you wonder if some of the facilities could be upgraded somewhat. Yeah, I suppose uh, I suppose the thought's always like how can you improve the or how can you increase the capacity? But a, a bigger capacity doesn't necessarily mean a, a better atmosphere, um, as true. you probably well know for certain grounds. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It. I wouldn't say it would need one. In the near future, there's maybe maybe I'd kind of a few extra rows here and there, but to me, I think it's got the kind of I say fifty thousand. It's got mm-hmm. enough that you're filling it every single week, or yeah. whenever there's fans all back in, obviously, um, it's getting filled. So I think it's fine to me how it is personally, but I'd, maybe I'll major fans will disagree on that. Yeah, it's it's obviously a subjective point, you know. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's not even it's not even just so much, you know. The number of seats in there, it's some some of the other things like the catering facilities, etc., um, that people don't really think much about. But again, um, you know, as long as you're there watching your games and getting your halftime burger, you don't care. I suppose as a fan, you don't really care what the facilities look at. Um, another another couple of pieces that um, I came across, you know, um, that caught my first one. You, you, you titled this the Forgotten Genius, Brian Loudrop. Um I want to know why you came up with forgotten genius because you know those of a certain age will I certainly remember I would actually put Brian Lodrup along with Henrik Larson as the best player to have played in Scottish football yeah it's it's a kind of weird one that because it wasn't actually for this is Ibrox it was another blog I wrote for they were doing a series on kind of players that were obviously exceptional but kind of unheralded at some point in their career Mm -hmm. um and obviously being a, a Rangers fan, I thought, well, Brian Loudrop's obviously a god to every Rangers fan. doesn't matter if you were alive back then mm-hmm. or you can't remember him. He's still, the name's going to pass down through generations. Mm-hmm. But he's kind of career before and after, certainly at club level, I think kind of goes often well, forgotten about, to me anyway. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought it was a kind of perfect choice for that blog at the time. Um, and I was chatting to Adam about any new articles and he said, oh, could we put the Brian Loudrop one on the site and just obviously credit it with being for the nutmeg assisted, which I've done it for. So it kind of worked out fine, but some of the comments from 
Rangers fans. I, I think they kind of, I maybe should have reworded the title uh, <laughs> for Mrs. Highbrooks. So I can understand why fans were like, well, he's not forgotten genius, he's the best player in recent history. Fair enough. Um, so that was again the reasoning behind that. Uh, that was probably my fault from not actually changing the title on the article. Uh, but I think, I, I said his career kind of before and after Rangers was probably uh, Rangers was his peak. If, yeah. On, on uh, all the Rangers fans would definitely tell you the same. Um, but some of the fans were kind of like, oh, you can't forget Brian Lowdrop. Brian Lowdrop, sorry, which I definitely agree with that. Oh yeah, with it. Uh, I mean, to be fair, yeah, after um, after Rangers, his career kind of dwindled. He'd retired from international football. Chelsea didn't work out for him, and um, can't remember where he ended up. But um, after, I know he had a spell at Ajax too. Yeah. Before he went to Rangers, there was always a sign of a really top player. He'd won the European yeah. Championship with Denmark in '82. Famously, his brother decided, "I'm staying in the beach," <laughs> and uh, you know, he, I remember watching him when. Um, Football Italia for, playing for Fiorentina doing all right and then AC Milan he was part of their squad that won the Champions League I don't think he made the bench for that final right enough but it's just yeah. a tremendous player that you know even fans of opposition like myself yeah. you just got to stand up and appreciate what a talent he was and into the bargain conducted himself very well off the pitch too No definitely he was, he was one of the probably one of the only players that I've had to pick anyone from kind of the club's history he'd definitely be Top five that I choose to play now. Um, I'm just kind of wish I was a bit older to actually appreciate how good he was and to actually see him play. Um, Mark, any time was basically the season after he left. That was mm-hmm. the first I kind of started remembering or watching uh, Rangers play. So I'm kind of mm-hmm. gutted that I never actually got to see him in his heyday. Yeah, yeah. You've seen some good players in your time. We'll come on to that as we um, discuss. Yeah. But the last one, what is just. Um, no cover off in terms of pieces that caught my David Cooper. Um, he was obviously um, a great player in the 80s for Rangers. And um, when I first started watching football in the early 80s, he was really very good in um, that by the old side that won the Scottish Cup in 1991. Um, yeah. Again, someone that was taken far too soon at the age of 39. Um, just again, although you didn't, um, you would have been too young to appreciate Cooper. Yeah. Um, when you're writing that piece and learning about the history, it's just you know, what, what does it mean um, writing about someone like David Cooper and bringing the attention to readers about what a great player he was? Well, as you say, it's kind of hard because obviously I've never obviously seen him in the flesh and I can't remember him actually playing. But again, it's it's just like anything, it's kind of stories and um, highlights and stuff get kind of get passed down, and you just been a avid fan, you just watch them, you just kind of soak it up to see how good a player he actually was. Um, somebody put on Twitter, sorry, this is again, it's going off on a tangent, somebody put on Twitter um, about David Cooper and somebody was like, oh, he's incredibly inconsistent. I, I, I don't know if he was inconsistent or not, but when he was, from what I've watched, from when he was on form, he, he looked unplayable. He just looked absolutely incredible. Um, that goal against I'm going to want to remind you of this actually, but I'm going to do it anyway. I just I remember the first time watching that, and I just I was on a video, and I just had to keep rewinding it. I just couldn't believe how quickly the ball went in the net. It was just yeah. unreal. That was a terrific free kick. I mean, I think um, Jim Leighton dived after it hit the net. It went that quickly, yeah, to be fair. 
think he said he got a touch on the way out, which is uh, <laughs> quite fitting for that goal. But I was just, and that kind of just, after watching that, I just had to kind of watch more and more. And again, tragic that he died so young. Um, what, 39 did you say sorry, that's... yeah 39 he wasn't far off his 40th birthday he was going to retire in that season take up a coaching role at his first club Clyde Bank just such a, a sad way to mm-hmm. for somebody as not great as him do you know what I mean just to you just kind of quite believe it and I read about how obviously when I first started kind of researching all the players and stuff and seeing that he died at 39 I was going to believe it I know, I still remember that well, because it actually happened at Broadwood. Um, he was doing a... Yeah. Uh, he was being a guest in a coaching video um, for... I can't remember the name. I think it was Shoot for STV. It was yeah. Charlie Nicholas and uh, Tommy Craig that presented that. And, uh, yeah, it was terrible when you heard that he collapsed and then you hear the next day he died. It was like, wow, he's only like 39. And um, it's quite scary. You know, you think, fit and healthy, yeah. but... Um, it's it's interesting you mentioned um, some people thought he's inconsistent. I think when you look at wingers in general, um, with the exception of obviously Ronaldo, um, most wingers are inconsistent when you th- when you think yeah. about it. But it's what they do. You know, for a night in a night game, they can be missing for like seventy five, but in a fifteen minute ten minute spell, they can um, win a game with sixpence just with a great cross, great round, or um, doing a great solo goal of their own. Um, that and, David Cooper was more than capable of that. No, yeah, that again. It's as you said. It's kind of go spell. Look at Ryan Kent this season. There's been some games that he's, he's been quite poor and he's just come to life at certain mm-hmm. points and kind of had that flashy brilliance. But yeah, again, I, I couldn't comment on the David Cooper on being inconsistent. But mm-hmm. if he's consistent, was that good? Then you would take that every day of the week. Because you just have somebody like, in, like him in your side, like regardless of the team. I'm sure Celtic fans would say the same. Having him at his peak would be an asset to any team. Yeah, well, it says a lot for the respect that people had for David Cooper. There was a lot of Celtic scarfs at that yeah. point as well. Um, I remember that vaguely. So, um, yeah, a great player. Um, so, move on to, obviously, um, the back, back to the beginning for you in terms of um, where your love affair of Rangers really first started and um, you hinted that it was um, just before the Advocate era? Yeah, it was, I'm sure it was about halfway through that season and I remember my granddad won the bingo at him <laughs> and they bought me the that, the kit, that season's kit. I don't know what happened to it, I wish I'd kept it because I love that kind of template um, and some of the money that these kits are kind of going for these days, it's, you, you kind of wonder what happened to your old stuff. Yeah. Was uh, that the Nike one with McEwen's lag on the front? Yes, I with the collar, the white collar. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, it was a decent one, yeah. And I remember he bought me that and he'd kind of paid attention. He was a kind of Rangers fan. Not massive, but um, enough to kind of spark my interest. Um, so it just kind of spiralled through there. And I remember watch, I say, I say watch, and I remember listening to it on the radio um, when we beat Celtic at Parkhead to win the title um, in 1989 for my dad and obviously the whole kind of few dollars getting hit with the coin um, but I was, I was a bit too young to kind of appreciate how kind of big a, a game that was uh, my dad was just kind of told me that kind of won the league and it's massive but I don't think you kind of appreciate that until you get a bit older and you realise what you've actually done 
Oh yeah, without a doubt, and that was a that was also a, a, a crazy day in this Scottish football. Um, yeah. So I mean, when when do you remember your first game? I've only been a couple because I was staying in Kirkcaldy. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad's a fan, but he's not he's not a massive fan. I just can I, I picked up on it and I kind of get with certain things. If I pick up on something, I kind of get the bug, and that's me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I become a bit obsessive with stuff. So just having a team. Like Rangers, um, I've been to many Rafe Rovers matches and have Rangers matches, but that's just the way it goes. Um, uh, it was oh, EFA Cup Malmo, no mold, sorry. Um, mm. When I was a bit older, but I mean, it's just kind of when you're younger, obviously, you're not going to remember as much stuff as what you do when kind of you're hitting your teenage yeah. years and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? It's, um, I can remember my first Rafe game for some reason. That's again, that's. And off on a tangent as well. <laughs> Sorry, um, but it's just you know, you're kind of brought up to support the team that your dad can support. So oh. um, you're either going to support their team or you're going to rebel and support someone else. That's the kind of two ways it tends to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad, his dad and his brother, they were Celtic fans. So obviously, you thought I'll do the good thing. And, be a Rangers supporter, so it's kind of worked out well for me in that regard. Um, but again, that's just how it goes. You just kind of pick up in your, either your local team or who your dad supports. Yeah, <laughs> in my in my case, I went completely the opposite to all those logics um, because um, I'm in the central belt. Um, my mum support supported Celtic. My sister supported Rangers, and I um, chose Aberdeen when I. I saw the red kit in the nineteen eighty nine League Cup final. <laughs> so I just yeah, went well, completely. You can't be right in the right on the off shot. You can't be um, siding the one or other. So there you go. Probably that. Probably a good choice. But then that's just when you got a team, and then that's it. Yeah. Can't <laughs> change your team. Nah, I, I would never dream it. Um, despite um, no, tough not. spells, and I'm sure you've obviously went through some tough spells yeah. yourself. But um, you know, in one of your first years that you probably remember, um, I'd imagine would. Maybe not so much the Advocat treble, but the Alex McLeish treble, um, you would have been, what, 12, 11 at the time? And, um, you know, given that uh, given that Rangers were up against a, Martin, a very strong Martin O'Neill Celtic side that reached the UEFA Cup final that year, that that was a heck of an achievement, even if it was by what turned out to be one goal. Yeah, it was, I was in primary seven. And again, that was kind of, I remember the um, Scottish Cup final the year before, which is still probably my favourite game um, and I think winning those kind of the League Cup and the Scottish Cup the season before was what we kind of needed to go into that season mm-hmm. uh, what, what an excellent squad like the squad wasn't the problem it was obviously I'd got coming to the end, uh, end of his reign and McQueen starting his one but yeah it was absolutely brilliant season probably one of the best that there's ever been in Scottish football and it was just it was just toe to toe. Just no team was, well, as you said, it was just one goal. It was just no team was kind of giving it the other team any respite. Uh, and I can still remember that final day, like it was yesterday. And when we got the penalty, I'm standing, sitting there ready. And my dad's like, I'm going to have to turn it off. Too nerve, I can kind of watch it. So he actually turned it off. So I missed the penalty. Um, turned it back, and obviously he'd scored and uh, it, it finished. So I've never quite forgiven them for that one. Um, but it ended up 
her right in the end. But it was just a just a fantastic season. Yeah, it, it was a it was a, a great season in terms of that title race. Celtic reached the UEFA Cup final as well, and I think yeah. um, you mentioned the. Uh, I think what happened with Abicat, I think he got a fright when Neil came in and didn't know how to react. Um, whereas Almaclus came in and just uh, no sorted it. And no, on that final day, there was a particular moment you'll probably remember. I think Rangers were three one up, Celtic were three now. Celtic at this point are top of the league, and um, was it? Larson had a chance from a Thompson cross that just went by the post at that same time, exact same time, Ronald Dubois heads home from Neil McCann free kick to make it 4-1, and that put Rangers back, back in front. It was just that kind of tops the turvy afternoon, which is just incredible as a neutral to watch. Yeah, it wasn't for a Rangers fan. I was no, of course not, or Celtic. Still, still remember it, but yeah, it was just kind of, it's just moments like that, just kind of wee moments now. I'm sure Celtic, I'm sure Alan Thompson missed a penalty as well, which mm-hmm. yeah, he did. Mm. if he scored that, I can't remember when he missed it, what, what time he missed it, but he just, it's kind of just moments um, what ifs basically, but uh, again, for a neutral, that must have been kind of absolutely brilliant to watch and I never thought we would ever get, I don't think we've ever had one quite as dramatic as well, yeah, maybe, I'd say maybe 2005 was more dramatic, but Obviously, being edged like with the one goal, like, that must be kind of one of the closest race races. Um, I don't think we'll ever get it that close again. Yeah, I, I, that's that's one thing I will ask you yeah, because I asked this of um, John Walker of um, Scots Abroad Pod, which one of the the two last day um, deciders um, he appreciated more. Um, yeah. I'll tell you his answer, man. What what was what was um, yours and for what reason? I was thinking about this earlier actually. It's, it's, it's a bloody good question. I'm going to go with 2005 because I didn't think we we're going to do it beforehand. Mm-hmm. Whereas 2003, it was a case of right if the score more than Celtic, going to win the league. Mm-hmm. So obviously there, there's a great chance, especially playing on Fairmans. All due respect, you're wanting to kind of score as much goals as you can. Uh, but I, I just never seen Celtic getting beat by well that day. I just thought they'll get a win, titles on the line, and that's it. And I would have had no complaints but stayed in it to the last game of the season so I think I'm going to go with 2005 just for how shocked I was when Scott McDonald who I've still got a very soft spot for by the way um, scored the two goals so I'm going to go for that yeah that's, that's yeah well, well John actually went with the opposite he went with 2003 because of the way it was done um, be- yeah. because Rangers were um, because the way Rangers battered a decent it was a good Infernal team back then yeah, yeah. Um, so it was so I, I understand both points of views I mean I've not been in that position the only time Aberdeen have been close in my life to win that title we'll not talk about because it, it was the year you were born in 1991 <laughs> <laughs> so that was the last day I'll, um, I don't want to um, bring up so <laughs> move on so yeah I mean Alan McLeish I mean considering he was essentially made, um, asked to cut the budgets um, you know, he did a very good job. It was seven trophies he won overall. Um, he also got Rangers in the last 16 of the Champions League, which was something to advocate for the millions that he spent couldn't do. Um, his last season wasn't good, although he did reach the last 16 that last season. Um, it wasn't a great league season because he finished third in the league and stuff, but he knew he was on yeah. his way. You know, just how highly do you regard him in terms of being a Rangers manager? Oh, there's definitely been you look back right now. Maybe not at the time. Um, I don't think it was appreciated as much as what it should be. But 
as you say, looking back, he done some incredible things with that squad, especially 2004-2005, when yeah. obviously the previous season we were kind of cutting the wages and obviously the budget was kind of slashed with Barry Ferguson leaving and um, Amoruso, etc. Quite a few guys kind of left. And to kind of go through that terrible 0-3-0-4 season and kind of bounce back the way we did um, winning the league in the League Cup, I think just kind of shows you how much he wanted it as well and how mm. much he was kind of willing to... He could have left after the treble season with his head held high, five trophies, five mm. or six, sorry. Um, and he could have managed in a lot of places. But to his credit, he stuck in. Again, as you say, his last season wasn't the best. But that Champions League quality campaign, well, I remember that quite well. So it was... I've, I hold him in really high regards. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of people will do looking back, um, especially for what happened next. I mean, this was going to be the next big thing was Paul Le Guin yeah. was supposed to be, um, you know, he'd done so well at Leon, had a year out. There was talk that he was going to be Real Madrid manager and he, he went to Rangers and was going to lead Rangers in a bright new era. He led Rangers in an era, all right, but it wasn't a particularly good one for six months. You know, just how short, I mean, what was your expectation compared to the reality? Uh yeah, it was. He uh, was the one that, that, as you say, was the next kind of. He was the next kind of coach to kind of going to take the world by storm. Uh, this is when I was first like, starting to get proper into like, European football and that as well. Um, kind of taking an interest in like French, German, Italian leagues. So I, I kind of knew what a big deal he was. And when it was announced, like we were signing him, I was like, "That's this is a joke. This, we're not going to get somebody that's his, his caliber." Obviously, the expectation was massive. Um, I just felt that the kind of balance was going to shift like massively. But if he, I thought if he gets this right, we could kind of dominate for the next three, four years. Obviously, that was kind of um, way off the way off the mark. But to be fair, I think his style was more kind of European football. He'd, mm-hmm. he'd done pretty well in the FA Cup that season. Um, so it's one that. Again, it's a kind of what if, kind of if he kind of changed his style a bit, could we have done better domestically? You'll never know. That's that's only him. Do you think had the results been better, he would have got away with the Barry Ferguson decision? Uh, that's a hard one. That's definitely a hard one. Yeah, I think he might have done. I think just the way the kind of club was at the time, yeah. like that kind of Christmas period was just mm-hmm. terrible. Um, I sure, I'm sure Falkirk beat us. In the December. Inverness. Uh, Falkirk beat you um, 1-0 Inverness, and then yeah. Inverness beat you. And I remember just sitting thinking that someone's got to give you. And obviously with the kind of rumblings with Fergie and obviously the kind of, what you say, Boyd. I'm sure Boyd scored the, the winner against Inverness at mm-hmm. the start of January. Mother, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, number six. So you knew where the players kind of stood. So I think mm-hmm. after that result, it was kind of, you knew something was going to happen. Yeah, it was the, the strangest part about it all. It wasn't um, even so much dropping um, Barry Ferguson because end of the day, if a manager doesn't trust his captain, he's have a right to drop him. So the fact he brought yeah. Gavin Ray out the cold and made caps, I thought that was a bit strange. And Gavin Ray's obviously spoken on a couple of podcasts and pretty much said the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> ah, it was a bit of a strange one. I, was, I did like Gavin Ray as a player, but again, he hadn't, mm-hmm. really, he hadn't played as much. Um, so it was just a, I don't know if he was just making a point or. Obviously, just trying to 
you're wind them up or just as you say prove a point that he's in charge as we are the highway but obviously it was just a terrible decision um, and one that obviously kind of sparked the revival of Walter Smith coming back so I suppose it was a kind of blessing in disguise Yeah, How did you feel about that? Because obviously you're a Rangers fan but you're also a Scotland fan so we've got to talk about more on um, you know, obviously you must be delighted you're getting him back at Rangers but at the same point Scotland's losing a good manager halfway through the campaign when it was looking really good. Yeah, it was, again, I kind of got a lot of stick for this because I was obviously buzzing that he was coming back to Rangers. And again, I'd obviously just missed the kind of Smith era. Uh, so, and I had a couple of friends out of school that were Rangers fans, but again, kind of scattered with Celtic and Scotland and blah, blah, blah. So I kind of got a bit pelters because I was... Couldn't wait to kind of see what he could do with the squad because you knew the players were going to react quite well with him coming back. Um, but again, it was it was hard to take because that kind of start of that qualifying campaign was really really good, and I think we were onto something strong with Smith. So I, I don't know. It was definitely a hard one for me, um, but I think I was when when I seen that was McLeish was going. As a Scotland manager, I, was, I kind of felt a bit more relieved because mm. I knew they'd got somebody that was going to handle it well. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. McLeish was obviously the right man at the time. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so um, obviously Smith comes back in, things gradually start to improve and then um, me and a couple of others um, on this podcast, um, we did a throwback on season 2007-2008. The season I call um, the the season of um, hope for Scottish football because you guys reached the UEFA Cup final. Aberdeen got to last 32 in the UEFA Cup. Celtic got last 16 in the Champions League. Scotland were within 90 minutes of reaching Euro 2008. Um, it was looking good for Scottish football. It turned out to be a false dawn um, as the years went on. But from a Rangers fan's point of view, no, just just sum up that, that whole journey of you know, getting to the UEFA Cup final. It's it's something that when I look back on now, I still can't believe it. And it's like anything when you as you get older, you wonder how did I not make more a big deal out of this when it was actually happening, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um I was in fifth year and and it just as I said the kind of campaign was just building. Even even the Champions League, the result against Leon, um and we drew with Barca as well. So we had some like brilliant results and then obviously that mm-hmm. kind of that kind of tailed off yeah and it was just yeah it was kind of one of those things where you didn't think something big was going to happen in Europe because as much as I loved Walter Smith his style was very um, pragmatic if that's the right word Mm -hmm. for the European games it wasn't pretty to watch but I mean I got results so at the end of the day it's all about qualifying for the next round doing everything you can to kind of utilise the strength of your squad but it was, it was just an amazing achievement and one that personally I said this at the time as well my dad said it I don't think we'll ever see Rangers or any Scottish team in a European final in my lifetime that's maybe a, a bold statement but I kind of stick by it Well the way football has um, gone um, yeah. the, la- the last what 13 years since that that final um, or 12 years sorry it's um, been it's looking more and more unlikely, you know, um, unless um, some rich benefactors come in and inject money into Scottish football. It's not happening anytime soon. I think no. you're more likely going to see um, 
you know, middle of the road English teams doing well in Europe again. Yeah. Um, if they're interested, that is. But um, but it, there was another good title race that season um, that you no know, went went to the final day. You missed out. Um, there was a lot of controversy over the fixtures, etc. It's hard to put point which was right, which was wrong. It was a real controversial campaign. But then you make up for it the next season by by go by doing the job, um, going to Tannadice and winning that final day. So that started um, a run of three in a row. Um, a real successful period for you guys. Yeah, I think again it was hard with the European campaign. It, it did take a lot. I think it was like sixty-eight games. I'm sure they played in the whole mm. campaign. I mean, no club can kind of sustain that over, especially mm. the last two or three months. Um, I'm not going to go into the feelings of like the SFA and that what happened with the, the fixture list at the I'm sure we played the Tuesday night, the Thursday night, and then Saturday was a cup final. It yeah. was just like that shouldn't happen. I can obviously being a Rangers fan and their Celtic fans, if they were in that position mm-hmm. they, they probably feel the right to kinda of complain as well. But I mean that, that that's just what what is as yeah. we rebounded quite well um, in the next campaign. And I think maybe going out of Europe so early, as much a disappointment as it was at the time, was mm-hmm. maybe a blessing just for focus on domestic, win the title, uh, first title since 2005, and then kind of kickstart some domestic dominance from there, which is obviously what we did, did under Smith. Yeah, that's something that he's um, definitely good at. And there was, um, do, you know, during those returns of the, the Smith era, um, no, what were the what was apart from obviously reaching for cup final? What was the major highlights for you within that team? I say the the double the oh eight oh nine kind of uh, getting the title back of Celtic after three years four years sorry since we last won it. I thought that was the kind of probably one of the best ones. Uh, I think the next season we won the league cup as well against St. Man. That was. That's when we went down to nine men as well. Right. Uh, that was just that was just one of those finals. Uh, even though we went down to nine men, it was one that I still had a feeling we'd win. Do you know when you just get those mm-hmm. games that you just know you're going to win? Uh, and then I, th- I think the highlight of um, that period for me was probably the last season and just how we managed to kind of win the title. Fair enough, Celtic slipped up against Cali Fissel, but I think we played them seven times that season. It was just a remarkable yeah. kind of run. Uh, I think the last three or four months, it was just incredible. Always just every going around the corner, it was just always a game against Celtic. Um, <laughs> so I think winning the League Cup uh, and the League, especially on Smith's final year in charge, I think that was the kind of cherry on top of the cake for for him. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think we could have went out any other way. Yeah, definitely. I think um, a big, as, as big a key factor as the Cali Thistle beating Celtic was um, Al McGregor's penalty save for George yeah, Samaras yeah. with three, four minutes to go. If he doesn't save that, Celtic's winning the title and just shows again what a great goalkeeper he is. Oh, I remember that. I remember being in the pub watching that and it was just, the, the atmosphere was just so tense. It was going to split half and half between Celtic fans and Rangers fans. And uh, the Rangers fans, the place absolutely erupted when he saved that penalty. I still remember it real well. But yeah, that was definitely probably the key moment in that season. Because um, Samara scores that, I think, set it in the title. Simple as. Yeah, definitely. And it was a great way for Warsmith to bow to um, 
football, but it turned out to be the end of an era um, for Rangers. Um, yeah, just it's. I mean, I take no pleasure, and I know a lot of fans of rival clubs um, do for, for some reason. But um, I take absolutely no pleasure in seeing what happened to Rangers the following year. You know, I don't like to see any club go yeah. through administration or get um, or be liquidated the way Rangers happened. Just go through your feelings of emotions. Um, you know of how you describe that pe- that period when you went in it first of all went in administration, then went through the liquidation process, and you know we're essentially told start again from the old third division. It was. I didn't quite believe it to begin with. I remember it was kind of all plastered over like Sky Sports News and stuff, and obviously the papers were uh, coming out with this and that. And one of my pals texted me, "Can I just wind them up?" I was like, no, nah, that one's going to come out. It'll be fine. It'll just be another kind of, uh, kind of scare story, blah, blah, blah. And then obviously it started kind of getting deeper and deeper and then I kind of feel reality actually hit that that was it, liquidation and obviously the motion to the third division. Um, it's just, again, it's, it's kind of hard to explain it's just one of the things that you look back and you go, you, again, you can't kind of quite believe it actually happened, mm-hmm. which maybe makes the journey up until now all the better. But it was just a, it was just a tough, tough time. Yeah. Like you just, you didn't know what was going to happen or who was going to be playing. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was just a, it was a mad time period. I think that was the big disbelief was that it was a club the size of Rangers that went under. You know, you yeah, think of some of the clubs that were close to the bone at, um, at that time and, and before that, I think only Airdrie had um, went under and Third Lanark had went under. Great now, obviously. Um, but for that time, to Rangers was just um, unbelievable what happened. Um, and obviously, you must have taken a hell of a lot of stick. How do you, how do you get through that, taking all that stick? <laughs> I still don't know. My pal still gives me stick to his face, so uh, <laughs> I don't know how I done it at the actual time. It was just, I think after a kind of certain period of time, that was not old news as such, but people kind of focusing on obviously other things like Rangers were demoted. That's that kind of cast away. But I'm like you, I, I, I would take like, as much as some Rangers fans would love Celtic to get demoted. Why though? Like you're going to miss it on arrival rival years. Why would you want to win titles without can name being your biggest rival? Mm-hmm. To me, that that doesn't make any sense. I, I, I can kind of understand some fans having a different opinion. Fair enough, but no, I'm, I'm like yourself. I'd, I'd hate to see any club um, going to administration. It's not just the players; it's the staff. Yeah. You could lose jobs. There's countless people that lives are going to change if the club goes into mm-hmm. admin or liquidation. People don't quite see it like that. They just see it as a football team, and that's it. Yeah, and then there's your suppliers, um, etc. And the the face yeah, exactly. painter that, that that missed out in forty <laughs> quid. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist that when I was oh, when I read that, when I read that list. <laughs> I just thought that was absolutely hilarious at forty quid. I, I, I laughed at that as well. I'm not going to lie, I laughed at that. <laughs> Listen, if you, you don't, laugh, exactly, that's the best way of putting yeah. it. So it it just it's just incredible that you you know, um, May two thousand eight. UEFA Cup final at the what's now the Etihad, um, playing in St Petersburg, and then August 2012, Peter Headaway. <laughs> a come down. Ah, it was it was a bit of a strange one. I remember watching them. Um, I think it was the, the Challenge Cup. I think it was the first game. Uh, oh, I breaking that was an Alba, wasn't it? 
Oh, yeah, I'm sure. If, obviously, going back a bit, but I'm sure that was the first game. And I remember, I think it was when the London Olympics were on. And I was kind of, yeah. this is how much of a kind of time, you know, going through as a Rangers fan, I was switching between the swimming and watching Rangers breaking. That's, <laughs> that kind of tells you how <laughs> how bad it was. Uh, but you just, you just got to go on with it. That was it. There was no kind of change in uh, the division we're in. You're in the third division, that's it. Just go on and run it and progress back up the leagues. Yeah, and you know, on that particular day, you nearly went down to defeat, and it was always massive headlines. And then Andy Little comes up with a goal in the last minute, and he had a bit of a renaissance as a Rangers player that season. I remember uh, one of my pals; he was actually in, at the game, and he said the pubs were just chock a block with Rangers fans. I think there was even people that never actually had a ticket were just going up because right. obviously with the first game back, and he said it was just absolute chaos. There was police everywhere. I think there's been more people in Brecon since. Uh, so it was just uh, maybe my perception has kind of changed like looking back. But when we, when that happened, I, I was under the impression that right, that's it. You're going to win every game. Joe, when mm-hmm. you're again, no disrespect to any teams, but we're going to have the kind of metal and the the talent to kind of see off every team. But it doesn't work like that. It's Teams are going to come up against your Ibrox and it's going to be a cut final for them and fair play. Mm-hmm. Some of them got their wins, some of them played themselves apart. Yeah, that's just what happens. But what did you think of the recruitment the Rangers were going through at that point? Because I think Rangers missed an opportunity to really bring through some young players at that point. Um, you know, from and I'm, if you think I'm seeing it a ton, please tell me. But I think there was a lot of show off from Rangers saying, "Oh, we'll just." show everyone by bringing in like Sabine Black and David Templeton but the problem was when you're doing things like that to guy, for guys in the third division you're paying them so much money that there's not even a lot of motivation for me Ian Black sums up Rangers um, recruitment um, in the lower tier <laughs> No I, I totally agree with you. Uh, I couldn't actually put that better myself I, I remember at the time uh, saying to one of my friends that I think it was just when we got promoted um, to you know, week one I was like, we've missed a trick. As you say, we're spending the money or getting these players because it's Rangers are going to want to come in and play for us and this and that. But there was a, a kind of goal-mine youth talent that could have played in the third division and kind of worked the way through the leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just it never got utilised. It just kind of, there was a couple that come through, but again, it, it was an opportunity missed. Um, and I still say that to this day that we should have handled that a little better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Black, I... yeah, it was I reckon I could have done a better job as center mid Ian Black. Um <laughs> just not a fan of some of the sign ins, but I mean that's just what it was at the time. Yeah. The ironic thing about Ian Black was, you know, he made a career out of um, you know, being a um a tough tackle in midfield. But when it was happening to him in the third division against Berwick, he was out moaning about the way he was getting treated. Yeah, <laughs> Pot that's, Kettleson. That's, that's the attitude. That's just the kind of. I think that at that time we should have had players that were wanting to be in the Rangers jersey and wanting to fight. You had a couple, obviously, Wee Wallace, um, McCulloch. They were the kind of ones that wanted it and they wanted to stay at Rangers. But some of these youth boys were probably dying for a chance to play for the club even in the third division, and you're signing guys like Fran Sandaza and Kevin Kyle. It's just beggar's belief. 
Yeah, you actually hear some of the stories um, from these players about what they were expecting um, when they went in. They get told they were getting like three or four grand more, and it's like, okay, give me that pen quickly. But um, the things that you can look back on now and laugh. Certainly this season, you can definitely laugh because you know yeah. Rangers have been. There's so many words to describe them: relentless, laser focused. Um, you know, I think from an outsider's point of view, there's no question that they've learned a lot of lessons from even last season. Like, when you beat Celtic at Parkhead um, at Christmas last year, it was um, you. Got, I got the full name from Stephen Gerrard that you thought that the league was um, going to be yours, and then you switched off. This season, when you beat Celtic home and away, it's been straight off the park, straight on the next game, and getting the job done. And none of that's just been the, the story of the season. No, yeah, I was I was one of them that thought we were had a great chance last season as well. Uh, it was a massive win for us at Parkhead. Mm-hmm. I think it was the first since 2011. So yeah. you kind of get that monkey off your back. Um, and uh, maybe the kind of winter break was a momentum killer. Obviously, looking back, now it was. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was kind of like, right, we've got a great chance here. Can, we know we could be... I don't think it was a case of Celtic being the problem. It was kind of underperforming and kind of taking it maybe a bit easier against the likes of say Hamilton and St Mirren when you should be going out every game the same same respect um, go and win the game that was it and obviously the kind of what happened after it was just uh, a shambles to be honest it was kind of quite believe how much we'd kind of slipped up and just losing games that we shouldn't shouldn't be losing and even, even when we won a few of them it was just so uninspiring. It was just kind of turgid performances and kind of 1-0s, 2-1s. So we probably didn't deserve it after the first kind of few months, obviously, before um, the lockdown and the kind of pandemic and stuff. Mm-hmm. I just felt that we just didn't deserve to win the title after that. Yeah. Yeah, it's clear that you didn't deserve to win the title. Um, Celtic had moved... 13 points clear at that um, when the season unfortunately yeah. curtails but as I say this season it's not it's not even just I mean it, do you think um, had Stephen Gerrard not done so well in the European competitions those first two seasons having gone two seasons without, without a trophy do you think without Europe being so good in Europe he would have stayed um, he, he would have still been Rangers manager this season or do you think because of the investment in his project you saw enough signs to keep him going yeah I think, I think- I think having um, the third season uh, again. I, f- I think if it was if this season kind of went the same way as the last, I think he maybe would have. I think kind of minds would have been turning, um, but obviously it's kind of showed everyone that the project is clearly working. And I, again, I think people were saying all the Celtic fans and some pundits were kind of going on that Celtic can get thirteen in a row, fourteen in a row. And to me, I just kind of knew that once we get that first kind of title or we start kind of getting up our edge in the kind of derbies, we're going to be winning a title a lot sooner than what Celtic fans think. Uh, but no, I, I think it would have been given this season and mm-hmm. see what happens. But obviously the European runs have been an added bonus. And I'm, it sounds weird because I'd always kind of grown up the European adventures were always equally as important as the league titles for me or competing in the league. Uh, but this season, it's just a case of win that title, get the, get the first one um, for 10 years and then 
we can kind of kick on from there. So whatever happens in Europe is to me a bonus. And in another way, Europe's actually been a big help for Rangers this season because they've every time they've won in Europe, they've just went on and won the next league game. Um, so yeah. it's not made it, it's not made a difference. In fact, if anything, it's helped. And you know, there's not an over, um, you know, an over reliance on Alfredo Morelos. You get more goals from your midfielders than you are from Morelos this season, which I think is a big bonus. Roofs come in, Dunmill and stuff as well. Um, we did ask him um, for questions from um, our regular listeners unfortunately we only get the one from uh, Dr Grant Campbell I believe you've spoken to before um, he yeah. simply asked is Glenn Kamara the best signing Rangers have made over the last five years it's got to be up there yeah for, value for money I'd say definitely up there like 50 grand it's just absolutely I, I remember when we kind of got him and I think I think we were going to send him on a pre-contract obviously mm-hmm. 50 grand to get him in the January and I was I kind of knew a wee bit about him but not enough to say, or I don't know how well he's going to be, but he's just been. He's, he's had a couple of off games, but I mean, every player's entitled to that. Of course. But no, I'd, I'd definitely say, yeah, top five, certainly since we've kind of come back up um, into the Premier League. He's just been absolutely. Nice. I think the thing is, as well, uh, when we do sell him, because I think it's inevitable that he'll, he'll go maybe the next couple of seasons. We're going to get a massive profit on on him as well. Oh, without a doubt. And if he has a good Euros for Finland this summer, yeah. um, that'll yeah. rocket his value up as well. So, um, yeah, I couldn't believe it when you signed him for um, um, in the first place because I thought he he didn't stand out at Dundee for me. And then when he came into range, um, I thought he'd be a bench warmer for Rangers at best. But he's proven pretty much nearly everyone wrong, apart from those who really know how good he is. Um, uh, he. He does the simple things, but he does them very well. And, you know, it's a, it's a vital cog in that machine. Him and Ryan Jack are, are great in that midfield together. No, yeah, as you say, you need someone that's no fancy stuff, stable, can kind of control that midfield. And that's what he does. And again, I was like you, I'd kind of unaware of how well he'd been playing at Dundee. I knew he'd been at Arsenal, kind of coming through the ranks, uh, but he's just kind of gone straight. Maybe he just needed a team that White Rangers mm-hmm. just settle in. Uh, kind of feel he's going to be part of something that's a project that's going to grow. And again, as you say, if he has a good Euros, I think it's going to be hard to resist any offers. Um, I'm sure someone's saying, I think it was last season, I think it was just rumours and stuff like that, but Juventus were ready to spend £8 million. I mean, if somebody comes in for £8 million, that's hard to turn down. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Especially in the modern climate, when um, there's no fan income coming in, well, not from yeah. the gates anyway. I don't know how it works with yeah, exactly. the reason your season ticket, but um, obviously we mentioned Europe; it's going well as well. Big game tomorrow against Antwerp, um, yeah. and Antwerp at well, okay, so doing okay in, in Belgium, but it's not a tie that Rangers will, will be fearing. You know, how confident are you that you'll come through over these two legs? I think I think we'll qualify. I think I was. When the draw was made, I think it was probably the, again, I, I didn't want to say easy because I don't think there's any kind of yeah, easy of European tie, but I think when you kind of look back at the draw, it's probably one of the easier ones um, you'd, you'd want to take. So I was happy with that. But as kind of, we've not been playing brilliantly the last few games. Mm-hmm. Again, to me, it's just getting results. I don't care if I win the next nine games 1 0, I'll take it. 
Um, but you kind of wanted a bit momentum going in um, with mm-hmm. some good performances. But again, to me, it's a bonus. Hopefully, we qualify for the last sixteen and then kind of see what happens from there. But I, I think I think we'll qualify. I think we'll qualify um, quite comfortably. But it's going to be a wee bit tougher than what some fans are kind of making out. Yeah, and that's the thing. If you get overconfident, that's when you get cut him yeah, caught out. But no, I don't see any reason why Rangers can't come through this tie and then anything from then you've met your achievement from last season. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, so that would be that would be good for Scottish football as well. Um, so to round off the Rangers chat, um, just sum up how the how this title because let's be honest, it's it's pretty much nearly done. You're four wins away from the title. Um, it, well, it's a matter of when, not if. What will this title mean in compared to some of the other titles that you've had in your lifetime? I think it's going to be the best one. And looking back through our kind of previous titles, I didn't think I'd say it, but I think just everything that we've kind of been through, the kind of time period, it doesn't it still doesn't feel like 10 years since the last one in the league. That time just goes so quick. Um, it's kind of hard to comprehend, but I think it, when we win it, I'm still nervous. I'm still on edge every game because I'm one of the people that, until it's mathematically done, I, I just I can't rest. And so many people are getting carried away and stuff. I can understand it. I, yeah. Folks see it and they're like, yeah, big gap. Yeah. I, there's obviously, I can't see us losing it for now. But until we're kind of definitely over the, over the edge, I'm not celebrating anything. But I think when it does happen, it's going to be um, the most emotional one and definitely the best one I'd say That's a fair assessment and let, let's be honest um, if you, it's understandable why you think um, why you think like this because we haven't won it for 10 years it'll be even sweeter yeah. when you do and that's why you're um, not getting your chickens until the hatch time so to speak so um, you're calm, but it's hard yeah, I can I can understand that, um, but no, well, it's um, I'm sure you'll be cracking open your beers at home because um, um, I doubt we'll be back and it'll probably um, win before we're allowed back out again. Um, so, um, it, so your other um, big love of football, um, you know, the Scotland national team will um, cover this off quickly. Um, so, um, I'm assuming that you wouldn't remember much of the last time we were at a major finals, although you were alive. Um, you would have only been what seven when the finals happened. I do actually. I do remember quite a lot. I think that was the kind of first. Yep. That was the moment, or the tournament, I should say, that kind of first like, piqued my interest in football, like proper. I can remember kind of the whole build up and kind of asking my dad, "Oh, what's kind of going on?" But obviously, he's telling me it's, it's going to that World Cup. This is this is massive. Um, and I remember kind of coming home to school. Watching France, watching Scotland Brazil, sorry, um, opening game, and I, I just I still remember it like like it was yesterday. And again, that whole competition, I can still remember quite a lot of the games. That was, as I said, the first kind of moment I thought, right, this is football for me. This is it. Uh, and I, I remember watching us get beat by Morocco. Uh, well, I say get beat, I say demolished. It's probably a better. Yeah, um, that game. I remember my dad saying, "Look, don't worry about it. There's a World Cup every four years, and then there's a the Euros every wait the two years between." Obviously, that uh, probably jinxed it for us. Um, so 
I do remember a lot of France 98. And again, that was like me first kind of getting the bug, I'd say. Yes, it's a good tournament to start with. Um, but yeah. as you rightly right, say, you probably watched that tournament thinking, ah, well, well, we'll be in in another two or four years, but never did you think oh, it'd yeah. be 23, um, as it has turned out to be. <laughs> what was your other kind of early memories then watching the national team? Uh, I remember when we beat England at Wembley. And, that was uh, sweet. Bittersweet because uh, we went uh, out. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, we, had that, we had chances as well. I still... I was watching the highlights of that game not, not long ago. I don't, I don't know why I was watching them. Um, but we had, we had the chances to to qualify. England weren't great. Uh, that was kind of one that stung. Um, and obviously, the kind of start of the, the better votes here, I was uh, the 2-2 draw with the Pharaohs. That was um, probably the low point for me, especially kind of the first mm-hmm. five years kind of supporting the national team. Uh, I think just because you were kind of used to not qualifying as such, but obviously seeing them Scotland at France '98 and beating England and we beat Germany as well, I'm sure, in 1999. So mm-hmm. I kind of knew that we had a decent team, but better votes. It was just a just an absolute shambles of a. Even though we got to the playoffs of Euro 2004, it still didn't really mask the. The, the terrible performances that were had under him. Yeah, um, the very votes here was a was a strange one because, in his defence, he had to inherit a brand new team because um, Craig Brown probably rightly because there wasn't a lot coming through at the time and all I was defending Craig Brown was he held on to a few aging players because there wasn't a lot coming through apart from Barry yeah. Ferguson there wasn't really much other options and we had to bring in a few late starters like. Don Hutchison and Billy Dodds, etc. Um, yeah. So by the time Betty comes in, we're having to start again. Um, there was a lot of horrific performances. I think what sums up Betty votes was that that playoff. We let's be honest, we absolutely scraped that one now. We flicked that one now <laughs> at home. I would have taken six one um, defeat and I agree had it been like three one one leg, three now the other. But for it to happen the way it did, and after that first leg, I thought we are going to get absolutely spanked in the second leg, and unfortunately, that proved to be the case. And um, before Walter came in and um, started things up better, but um, the campaign that I wrote down um, that we were without doubt the closest until recently in qualifying from was Euro two thousand eight, and from the group that we had, it's it's a group full of fond memories because you beat France twice, you're taking on the world champions home and away. Beating Ukraine at home was my favourite Scotland game ever. Um, and then we do the Scottish time by losing to Georgia and then losing the very last minute against the world champions. Although um, I'm more scanning at James McFadden's miss um, before the free kick incident because, you know, if that goes in, we're through. Yeah. That no, was so. At the start of that group, when the group was made, I thought, right, we've got a chance at. Third, fourth, that's where you want to be in it. But just the kind of momentum kind of seemed to build. Um, obviously, starting off with the Pharaohs and then beating uh, Lithuania away. Because they'd always kind of been a, maybe not a bogey team as such, but mm-hmm. it's not a, it's not an easy place to go, especially when it's Scotland involved. That Again, we just seem to kind of offer the, we can beat world champions and we can beat top tier teams. And then when it comes to Georgia and etc., it's just not, um, we're not up for it. Uh, so we kind of started off quite well. Obviously, the France game. Um, there's one of my friends; it was his 16th birthday, and he was at the game. 
and he just said it's still like the best atmosphere he's ever experienced. Uh, yeah. It was just absolutely incredible when that goal went in. I remember watching it. Mm-hmm. So when when that when we won that game, I kind of thought, right, we're, we're kind of onto something here. Um, but it just typical Scotland just wasn't to be that. It's just that George again. That's the one that haunts mm-hmm. me. Yeah. That horrible strip. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It still haunts me to this day. Yeah. I just, I don't know what happened there. I don't know if it's just, was it the strip? Was that just a total psychological thing? Or, I think or, that added to a few things. Um, I mean, oh, there was, no, yeah, there was, there was four players um, that, um, from the old firm that missed it, that were key. Like Scott Brown was injured. Um, Lee McCulloch was, um, Suspended, having picked up a second booking. Um, Alan Hutton was missing, then ended up playing against Celtic. Um, I think Gary Neesmith was actually out as well. There was a few things, and Gary O'Connor yeah. got himself deliberately booked to miss out that game, which I'll never forgive him for. Um, it's just, there was just a whole load of things, but um, you still have that shot against Italy, and you're not yeah. far away. But it's again, that goes back to my point earlier about that was the season of hope, but then. George Burley came in, you thought, so not a bad appointment. Absolute yeah. disaster. Craig Levine, let's not go then. It's just like, back to square one again. Nah, no, it's just a constant cycle. It's just kind of poor manager, poor results, sacked or the leave, and then someone else comes in, kind of picks up. And again, it's just a cycle. It just, that's just the way it's been for the last, certainly since I could remember uh, as a Scotland fan. Again, I was at you when Burley was appointed. I thought, hey, he's, he'd done well at Hearts before uh, the kind of fault happened with him. He'd done a cracking job at Ipswich as well, especially the first season. Um, and it just, that, that campaign, they were just, they not get beat 4-0 by Norway away. That was oh, Don't bring that, don't bring back oh, memories. It was a horrible game. That was a terrible game. I turned it off after the second goal. I am not watch this. Absolutely horrendous. Uh, so that, that just summed up his his era and yeah. Craig he should have went after that game yeah no definitely I think Levine I think Levine was a safe choice like <laughs> to me I just I, I just didn't kind of feel any confidence when he was announced no. uh, I just do you mean I just felt it was a safe option you know no one else to go for but there you go well, there was. There was Lars Lagerback, but because it was too too soon after um, Betty Votes, um, it was yeah, deemed that's... that no form was right. Um, and Iceland said, we'll take him. Look at what happened. But exactly, yes. yeah, I'll not forgive George Pete for that. <laughs> no, it's just, as you say, sometimes you've got, sometimes taken like a punt on Betty Votes. And I know a, an alternative universe that could have worked out quite well. It's mm. just one of those things that you're never going to know um, if you had a decent squad or kind of youth players coming through who knows but again Levine was just a safe choice and I was just never I think the kind of one game that summed him up was the, well, you'll, you'll remember it well as well the 4-6-0 yes I've I seen that I never even watched the game I've seen the, I went that I'm not watching like uh, Jesus I still, I still just can't believe why I would go for a formation like that no. like, you, you never you never play for a draw regardless of what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. And and it's not sorry. 
No, I was just going to say, it's all about mentality. I mean, because to be fair, Spain played a 4 6 0 at Euro 2012 yeah. and won. But the difference was that the players in that system were all meant to attack. Like, Cesc Fabregas was asked yeah, to be the other striker and stuff like that. We were asking yeah. Stephen Naismith and Jamie Mackey to be second fullbacks. <laughs> That's what I mean. If you've got the kind of mentality, like I said, if you've got somebody playing kind of false nine and the shadow striker, right, Cesc Fabregas. You know he's going to do a brilliant job. He's world class, especially at that time. And you, you kind of looked at our lineup that night, and I was just like, nope. I can understand if we're maybe playing, say, Italy or Spain <laughs> or Germany. You go, right, fair enough. A draw is a brilliant result. But Czech Republic, you've got to go for those kind of games. Yeah. I, I just didn't get it at all. No, neither. And especially the fact that a few days later we played Spain and got ourselves back in the game and yeah. looked as though we could have got a yeah. point off him at one point. It's so frustrating. Um, but fortunately now we can look back at that and just uh, dust it off and put it in the bin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no. We did this very the very hard way in that game against Serbia. You know, you th- you, we, looked, we were looking good for 89 minutes. Then when they equalised, I thought, oh God, we're going to blow this again. This is just a new yeah. chapter of glorious failure. And then when David Marshall pulls off that save, you know, every household in Scotland must have been shaking with everyone jumping oh, up and down. It was amazing. Uh, it was just, I just no, it was, uh, you kind of knew something was going to happen in the last kind of 10 minutes. Scotland never do it easy, as you no. well know. It's never it's never a final win to qualify. That's it. Brilliant. Get the champagne ready at half time. It was very nerve wracking, uh, but fair fair play for sticking in. Because um, I thought once they scored the equaliser, that was it. They were going to win it in extra time. Just like in the second like game, if a team equalises the last minute, the momentum's naturally going to be with those guys. Uh, so we stuck in quite well. And again, kind of show as a lottery. We've got David Marshall in goal. Absolutely brilliant. I still, I think I woke, the, I think I woke my daughter up as well. It must have been about ten o'clock. And my missus is like, "Oh, you can't, you can't, can't be that loud." And I'm like, "No, this is folk have waited for this for twenty three years." <laughs> That's oh, it. Well, I get some um, not some of grief off them, the missus, because um, I've got two kids. They were both in bed, and. <laughs> I was jumping around the room and I didn't shout because I was conscious of the fact that the kids were sleeping. And the next thing I got a text from her saying, um, has there been an earthquake in Scotland? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I wish I could say the same, but no, I was definitely just, uh, I got it, folks, pure emotion. And yeah. Yeah, uh, to be honest, I, there was a time period that I felt that we were never going to kind of qualify for another tournament. So I think kind of getting this one, is hopefully going to be a momentum builder for the next kind of 10 years, 12 years, hopefully. Well, let's hope so. Well, the World Cup qualifying draw, with, without disrespecting any team, because we're Scotland, we, we can't disrespect anyone. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a draw that's actually, you look at it and think, we actually have a, a, be, a decent chance of first or second place. You know, that Denmark um, is as good a, a top seed as you'd want. Yeah. Austria um, are not the hardest um, of the second seeds in my opinion Israel again um, you just got to hope that we find a way of cracking them down this time um, we should know how to play yeah. them by now they still know how to play us Fairland is a good fifth seed side and Moldova again um, it's it's not bad what do you think of our chances looking at that draw? Yeah I thought when it was announced uh, probably the best draw we could have gotten under the circumstances uh, mm-hmm. I felt 
seeing that, uh, I think we've got a great chance. And I think if we, if I can't qualify from a group like this, then we need to kind of start taking a deeper look into what's happening right, with, the, with the team. Obviously, excellent qualifying for Euro 2020, but I mean, we've kind of had to do it the, the roundabout way. Because yeah. if it wasn't for um, the Nations League, well, we would never have had a playoff play spot. So we've, we've made the most of it. But just look at the actual qualifying group. It was, it was terrible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're just... Some of the games, even it was Clark's first game in charge of Cyprus win. Just obviously, he's developed his style of play, and we're kind of going back to the Scotland of old, kind of being resilient, um, plenty of strengths, and it's, it's working. It's maybe not pretty, but it's working. But if we don't, if we don't get a player spot for this one, then I think we need to start looking into what's happening. Yeah, that's, that's possibly a fair comment. Um, but um, it should, uh, you know, the World Cup qualifier, the, the, the round of fixtures we've got coming up in March should be a motivation for these players because this is their, um, you know, their last chance basically to say, put your name down as one of the 23 going to this summer's Euros. And of course, which comes with it, Czech Republic, um, Hamden, Croatia, Hamden, and a nice wee um, trip to Wembley sandwich in between. Um, we don't know what situation is going to be with the crowds, if it's going to be local fans only, or if it's going to be nothing, uh, no fans uh, on in San April. But for these players, um, what an, you know, there's no bit, um, better way to prepare yourself for the Euros than World Cup qualifiers as opposed to pre-Euro friendlies. No, yeah, I totally agree. And there's that competition as you said the competition on the horizon so to go out and kind of get win straight away is obviously it's going to boost our chances of qualifying for the World Cup and it's going to help certain players kind of edge their way closer to a, a selection spot for the final final squad mm-hmm. so I think it's only, only a good thing and I think we need to start off well I think again if we start off poorly if our results going to go against us, then you're talking an uphill battle again before it's even kind of kicked off. So, as you said, it's a perfect chance for people to kind of state their claim in the squad. And do you think Scotland can um, get another monkey off the back by reaching the knockout stages of a major tournament for the first time? I mean, the odds are that um, because not only did the top two go through but the four best third place sides can go through like as it happened with Portugal um, four, five years ago um, yeah. but obviously this has got we've been in that position before where we were in a third place um, in Italian 90 and still went out <laughs> I think I think we can I think we've got like, Czech Republic I think we've got a great chance of beating um, I agree so I'm saying three points I can't remember it's Czech Republic the last game Czech Republic's the first game and then it's England and then it's Croatia so again that's that, that should be the key can beat Czech Republic get yourself a great start and then again to me I was kind of looking and writing my notes England haven't really been as good as what people have said they were especially in the post-World Cup mm-hmm. uh, a few a few defeats recently Croatia again the same. They've they've not really been what they could be with their kind of group of players that they've got. So I think we've got every chance. Even 
even getting a draw for Croatia or England, you've got four points. Yeah. That's maybe enough to qualify you. But again, it's one game at a time. Czech Republic, first game. What better motivation do you need? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, that's what it is. It's one game at a time. And yeah. the main thing is, is we're there. You know, we've waited 23 years for it. Yeah. Um, I'm of that opinion. If we call for the next round, it's a bonus, you know. <laughs> but oh, yeah. um, but now that you're there, you want to do as well as you can. Especially, in fact, two of the games are at Hamden as well. So um, yeah. let's let's hope they do that. But, Ross, listen, I've enjoyed the chat, but I'm going to round off with um, the quite a pair of questions. Um, you know, one of them that's come, which I'll save today, is but, uh, first question, uh, what's your favourite beer? That's a tough one. Uh, Sam Decent choice, yeah. Um, and what would your favourite death row meal be? Steak pie, everything. Gravy. Nice. Roast potatoes, everything. That's a good choice. Very good choice. Um, obviously, we're in lockdown part, whatever it is just now. Um, lots of box um, series on Netflix, Prime, etc. Is there any favourites of yours just now? To be honest, I'm not a television person. Uh, I'm mainly a film guy so I'm trying to think I'm sorry I thought we'll ruin this quick by our question no it's alright don't worry we get this all the time uh, we, we nickname it watching... Slow Fire to be fair yeah no I've, I've been watching I've just been trying to watch a lot of films uh, I, just, I watched Social Network a few nights ago again that's oh, an excellent right. film um, again maybe a bit boring for some people but oh, not at all um, I'll give, maybe give that a try at some point Um What's been, what's been your favourite Old Firm game? The Scottish Cup final, 2002. Because of the last minute loving Cranes down yeah, here. Never, never forget that. Never forget that. Um, obviously, we're talking about the, the Euros. Um, there's rumours as to what the artist is going to be, whether it's going to be Bakra and um, whatever. Um, but who would your artist be for the Euros song? I'm going to kind of go left field here and go with someone. This is what I'd kind of wish. I'd go for you, I like a kind of primal scream or like the view. Somebody that's just really? kind of screams. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I just, there's two bands that I really love. Um, and I think it kind of adds something different to a song instead of maybe just your staple kind of stuff that they come up with, if that yeah. makes sense. No, that, that's that's an interesting shout. And you no, know, that's why we ask the question and try and get the variety yeah, of answers. Just, um, oh, that's a very, that's a very interesting it, I do, choice. I just think it'd be. Uh, it's obviously not going to happen, but I just I'd like to see what kind of yeah. bands like that would kind of come up with. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, who knows? Eh? As long as it's not a re-release of "Don't Come Home Too Soon" because we're already home. Yeah, here's a tough one for you. Um, if you were to choose between Rangers reaching this season's Europa League final or Scotland reaching the last sixteen of the Euros, which would it be? I'm going to get pillows for this. Um, Scotland. It's the right answer from my point of view, but I would have understood if you <laughs> went the other way, to be fair. I suppose you've seen Rangers in the European final anyway, so yeah, that bucket list yeah, has been ticked off. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I said I think I'm going to get pillars, but just to see us obviously qualifying for the Euros, but to kind of go further in the group stages um, would top it up for me. Um, and we're obviously locked in again, um, but when we eventually get out, whether that's April or whatever, um, where's the first place that you're looking to go to? Uh, any pub. <laughs> Funnily enough, any a pub. lot of the other guests are saying the same. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not usually one for going out as much as I've kind of gotten older, but uh, any pub. I think, 
I think to be fair, whether it's the pub or family house, um, family trips, yeah. wherever, everyone's houses are going to be deserted for a long time once this is all oh, over. Totally agree. It's just yeah. there's going to be um, some celebration when this yeah. hopefully passes sooner rather than later. Exactly. But the main the message that we've got to do right now is just um, keep ourselves safe um, and respect the rules, whether we agree with some or not. And we'll um, round off. Um, so we usually ask for the best 11 from um, your club or your country. For, for a few, I asked you to do one for a combined Rangers and Scotland 11. So basically it's um, 11 Scottish players that have played for Rangers. Floor's yours, Ross. This was quite tough for right. certain positions. Um Kind of had my thinking cap on here. So, and go, I'm going to go with McGregor. Yeah, I thought you would. I could, you've obviously got to go on, but just before my time, so mm-hmm. I didn't feel I could really put him in there. Uh, right back, I'm going to go 4 4 2 as well, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, right back, I've got Alan Hutton. Mm-hmm. First centre back, I've got David Weir. Yeah, easy choice. Uh, again, this is kind of. I'm going to go with Colin Henry, mm-hmm. just purely because he was a captain for the first treble season. Um, mm. he, he was a kind of key player in that season. And again, Richard Goff is my other choice, but if I'm going by the Andy Corum rule, I can't really have him. Yeah. Although that might change later, actually, so scrap that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, left back, I'm going to go Lee Wallace, because there's not kind of much... I could have went for Steve Whitaker as well, but Aye. I'm going to go for Wallace. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, He's a more natural left back, to be fair, than Steve Whitaker. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was kind of thinking. Um, left midfield, Neil McCann. Mm-hmm. A very underrated player. Yeah, I agree. Um, centre mid, Barry Ferguson. Mm-hmm. And he was part. He's going to be partnered by Kevin Thompson, who again, I think, if it wasn't for injuries, I think he would have achieved a lot more. Yeah, I would say that's a fair comment. He's a, one of the kind of most naturally gifted players I've seen. And came when I was going up quite watching Rangers, especially under Smith. I thought he was mm-hmm. absolutely brilliant player. Uh, right in the field was a kind of tough one. Um, I'm going to put Stephen Naismith out there. Just mm-hmm. I know it's not really his kind of preferred position, but I was really struggling. So he's going to get punted on the wing um, to kind of do a decent job, hopefully. And I've got, I've got Coyster up front. Okay. And again, I've just contradicted myself with the whole <laughs> Richard Goff, Andy Gorham, but you've got to have Coyster there. Yeah. To be fair, you'd have just seen enough of him in his last yeah. season. I, I, I can remember a few minutes at uh, Kilmarnock as well, so I'm going to base it on that. Um, and I'm going to have, I'm going to have Chris Boyd beside him. I was going to go for Kenny Miller, but. Mm-hmm. I'm not his biggest fan, so I'll go with Boyd. So you've got enough goals. Yeah, well, you should be with, with, with that team providing the, and you've got enough supply there, uh, Neil McCann. But yeah, it's, it's a pretty good team. Um, listen, Ross, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Um, enjoy the rest of the season, I'm sure you will. Um, enjoy your celebrations when they come. And uh, more importantly, enjoy Euro 2020 and stay safe. Thank you very much. You hope the Euros is going to work out well for us. Yeah, like so. So in the podcast, we'll have a few Euros specials up. So, um, to all listeners and yourself, tune in for that when they come out.
gives us a night we will never forget. David Marshall. Na 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 na. David Marshall. 